Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your round four recap episode for the Sanderson Farms Championship. Joining me to break it all down, I've got Mark Immelman here. Hey, Mark. What's up? How are you guys doing? We I, are. Apparently, the car's view is a little better than uh, our view over here. <laughs> well, we, we've, yeah, we've improved things from the uh, the Starbucks I was at on Tuesday. So we're, we're now... I'm at a friend's lake house, still homeless, but he's uh, he's been kind to uh, to share his lake house home with me, or with my family. So I'm uh, I'm watching the Sanderson from a from a dock on a lake in Central Texas. Well, apparently, giving hot texts is the way to making a big salary. So I, I got to follow you. <laughs> I, I don't I don't own any of this. I want to make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> that's kyle porter if you're watching us on youtube.com slash first cut podcast you can see him by the lake and if you were watching the sanderson farms gentlemen you saw sergio garcia shoot a 67 on sunday to win for the first time since on the pga tour i might add for the first time since the 2017 masters Mark, um, I mean, we've got a lot to talk about with Sergio. Let's just start with your overall reactions to him being back in the winner's circle. Uh, well, the first one is something I'm like a blowhard about all of the time, and that, you know, everyone on the PGA Tour just doesn't suck. And, <laughs> and, 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 and I'm serious. You know, people, we're so quick to write folks off. And I made the mistake on, I think it was the last podcast I was on where the conversation about the European Ryder Cup teams coming up and, you know, some of the old boys, you know, that maybe they passed their sell-by date. But the truth of it is, if you're an exempt member of the PGA Tour, you can go. And if you get it together for one week, anything's likely to happen. And Garcia today looked like a 17-year-old Sergio Garcia with a little less hair. I mean, the way he was hitting it was ordinary. I mean, that's what he normally does. But... When he was a kid, he used to have a fantastic short game. I mean, the short game touch around the greens was magical. Um, he'd make putts from all over the joint, sort of fearless. And, and he looked, I wouldn't say fearful because he's approaching, you know, with the eyes closed and you could see the, uh, I love the softness about him when he gets over the golf ball and the purpose of the routine. So he didn't have the childhood abandon about him, but the guy made putts from all over the joint. And when you hit the ball like he does and you start, start making putts, I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out the low scores on the offing. So, I mean, I was Jack for him. He, he's, he's a dear friend. Um, I'm happy to see him back. You could see how meaningful it was, you know, in his post-round comments. And, and, and I love that because, you know, sometimes all of us folks get a bit too into the big events and events like Jackson, Mississippi, we kind of fob off because it's in the fall. But that Sanderson Farms win was a big deal for Sergio Garcia, and you could see it. It looked like there was years of relief that rolled off of his shoulders when he tapped it in on 18. It looked like it was a big moment for him. Yeah, it did. I, you know, I thought, you know, I didn't, I didn't watch a ton throughout the week. I did watch a lot today. And how much fun was today? Like, I know, I know Mark just alluded to it, but 
you know, Malnati not a guy that's going to win a lot on tour just because the way he hits it. And so for him to be in the mix, uh, for Sergio in, yeah, like a, a lesser event, um, but still like just, a, I, I mean, he kind of had his best stuff down the stretch. I mean, the yeah. shot into 15 was insane. The shot into 18 was awesome. And he chased after it. He knew it. And Malnati, you could, you could kind of tell that like, over the last two hours, I thought this was kind of funny that Malnati like felt <laughs> something like that coming. He didn't know what it was going to be, <laughs> but you could just tell that he was like emotionally preparing himself for that moment specifically. And uh, I don't know, man, it was, it was a ton of fun. Sergio, when he's feeling right, when he's good is, is one of the most entertaining guys on, on any tour. I mean, it, it, it's so much fun to watch. And uh, I just, I had a blast. Like I, I went into it thinking, okay, I'll cover this. We'll write about it. We'll talk about it. And I did not expect for it to be as much fun as it was. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to Malnati because I thought he had some great quotes and it was, it was awesome. Um, but uh, Mark, the, the big storyline with Sergio all week is this revolution that we find out he's been closing his eyes to putt. And I, I talked to Greg about this uh, either Friday or Saturday night from like an instructor's point of view and how it might just be freeing him up and, and kind of, uh, you know, changing the mechanism a little bit, but I'll, I'll provide the stats here and, and, and hat tip to producer Jacob behind the glass, Sergio Garcia gained strokes putting in all four rounds this week. I could not find another instance in which he went all four rounds in a single tournament gaining strokes putting. So whatever it's doing for him, Mark, it's working. Well, from my point of view as an instructor, um, it's something I use pretty often with clients mm. of all skill levels. Uh, and the reason why I use it, it's two, sort of twofold. But the main one is we sensory beings, okay? And so you have five senses, see, feel, hear, smell, taste, touch. And you're not going to taste when you hit a golf shot. You're not going to smell. You certainly see, you certainly hear. Auditory is a big deal. And you certainly feel. And of those, the sight is the overriding thing. Now, that can be beneficial, but it can also be detrimental because if you haven't been making putts for argument's sakes, all you're looking for is that. And so when you close your eyes, it takes away the, 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 the what's going to happen, and it zones you into more what you've got to do. And then with the eyes closed, your brain just automatically heightens the feel sense because that becomes the most important one. You can certainly hear a sound, but in the creation of a golf shot, it's all feel now. And so you can feel rhythm. You can feel pace in transition. You can even feel the direction of the club more because, again, the senses are heightened. So for someone listening to this, if you're struggling, get on the green, do it. It'll be, pardon the pun, eye-opening to you because when you have <laughs> both, you, you, you're going to feel things in a different sort of a way and you feel pace, you feel rhythm, and then you take away the results. And for someone who's not making putts, that's a great way to play because you sort of swing the club more freely. I have to go out there and start closing my eyes a bit on my putts. KP, you alluded to this. You alluded to him playing his best golf down the stretch. You mentioned the approach into the par 5 14th, which he hits his second shot to three and a half feet. Then he stuffs one on 18 that he walks after. I mean, to I don't know what it was, two feet. I don't have the shot link in front of me. Yeah. Two feet, six inches. Uh, which, which shot was better? I, I put this out as like a Twitter poll. Like, which is better making it, hitting it to two and a half feet to make Eagle on 14 to get to 18 under or stuffing one on 18 and ending it. Uh, I mean, the better shot was the one on 14 just because it was from what? two fifty nine, I think to three feet. Yes. Yeah, you're yeah. You're going all strokes gained again. Come on now. <laughs> I, I want to go on this, but go ahead. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just 
less likely to make a two from 259 than it is from 171. I mean, and, and to hit that, I mean, the shot on 18, obviously it's a great shot to win the golf tournament, but there's not a lot of guys on tour who have the shot into, into 14, right, from 259 to three feet. And, to, and part of me is like, was that on purpose? Because he kind of killed it into – like the 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 ridge just over the bunker and it like rolled out at like to two feet or whatever i don't know that it was totally on purpose but it was an unbelievable shot and you know i we were kind of texting about this but sergio like his trajectory when he's feeling it is it's the best i mean it is it's almost like you watching him hit like shots in a tournament it makes you wonder how he hasn't won like 50 times worldwide. I know he's won a ton on the European tour. He's won 11 times on the PGA tour, but you just watch him hit. And it's like, this is, I mean, this is really generational type stuff. And so I always like, I I like it when guys like him are in contention and there's not many like him just because it's, it's a joy to watch. It's a ton of fun to watch him bend the ball both ways and hit the kind of shots that he hits. Here's my take, and I don't know this for certain. Uh, I haven't gotten to ask. But, you know, when I watched that shot into the par five, you could see he was setting up down the left center of the green. And and he had a lie where we were trying to carve one in there. And he got a bit out in front of one. And as soon as the ball left the face, he, you know he didn't catch all of it because he was screaming, go, go, because mm-hmm. he knew the thing was on the edge. Uh, and then it lands on the backside of the bunker, bounds forward, and it's the tapping. Yeah, fantastic results. And, and a hell of a shot from 200 and whatever it was. Yeah, I'm here to tell you. When the guy's standing in the 18th fairway, he is tied for the lead, okay? But let, let's talk about the tee shot to get into the left side of the 18th fairway first under pressure. And from there, he's got a club in his hand waiting to play. The conviction of that is unreal. And then to hit this thing on the button, and he was walking as soon as it left, so you know. Yep. The thing hit its yardage. It was right over the top of the flag. That was masterclass, okay? I mean, that one, I have a sense that if you had to ask him, he would say that was the better of the two. It certainly was for me. I think it was the shot that he, it was closer to what he was trying to execute, right? He absolutely flushed the, the shot on 18. He started walking after it. it and it's a, it's a game of inches on 14, you know, a, a half a club or a, a half a yard. Uh, he's in that front bunker and it's a different story. Both unbelievable. Um, go ahead, Mark. If I might, I, I just want to add quickly to that because he comes off that unreal eagle on the par five. Then the next hole, he sort of undercuts a tee shot that was desperate. I mean, yeah. it was, it was, I was shocked when I saw that. And then he feathers that thing in the front bunker. And i got to tell you, that pass save that he made there from like six feet or whatever it was, that was crucial to that tournament not coming unhinged because that thing kept the mojo going on and it sort of set him up to hit some quality balls coming in. Hey, real quick on Sergio, he hasn't he he wasn't putting with his eyes closed when he won the Masters, was he? I saw him say that this week. I feel like, and maybe we just all missed it. I feel like, I mean, as much golf as we all watch, like somebody would have would have called this out before the Sanderson Farms, right? I look, Kyle. I don't know. I've spoken with Lauren Roberts. Now this is way before your time, okay? And and Lauren Roberts' nickname was the Boss of the Moss because this guy he could flat out roll it. I mean, he's in. You ask any player from all time and they'll tell you that he's one of the best and he used to say to me when he got over the golf ball he'd close his eyes just a little so you know when your eyes sort of fall out of focus a little bit and the ball's just blurred down in front of you and so he wouldn't close his eyes but he'd be in that sort of a hazy zone and that would free up his stroke so maybe Garcia was doing some of that stuff I don't know but I also did hear the comment that he was closing his eyes but I'll tell you this much much at Augusta National some of those putts over there 
you essentially praying while you're making your stroke because you don't want this <laughs> thing away from you. So, so I can sort of see it happening, but I don't know for sure. Uh, I'm skeptical. I'm very skeptical I, that he's I been. Am, I am. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't. And look, like I, I don't. I, I think that there's probably a partial truth to it. Like maybe he did it a couple of times, or he did it in a certain whatever. But he, he, like the way he, and I read the transcript from earlier this week. The way he said it, it was like, oh yeah, I, how'd you guys miss this? I've been doing it for four years, and I was yeah. like, wait, what? You'll be surprised at the stuff these guys are trying. I've seen. I don't think closing your eyes puttings as big a deal as someone changing their grip mid round a few times. I've seen Phil Mickelson do that. I've seen King Bradley do that. I've seen all sorts of guys filling around, changing grips, doing different stuff. Patrick Reed going left and low in the middle of a tournament with like four holes to go and he's in contention. Uh, this sort of stuff starts happening when the proverbial stuff's hitting the fan. Trust hey, me. Hey, you're you're forgetting the best one. Adam Scott two putters final round at Bell Reef 2018. <laughs> oh, Mickelson two yeah. I mean, that's yeah. two putters is insane. I mean, what are we doing? But this is what these guys do. I, they go through the same sort of challenges that we do, and they are prepared to sort of, you know, make adjustments on the fly. So I, I can see it happening. Trust me, I can see it happening. Uh, well, I, uh, I I wasn't buying the conspiracy earlier this week, and I went and pulled up the uh, 17 final <laughs> round at Augusta, and uh, they have the video. We just need it, – it, it's too short. It's like the ball's already – it's focused right on his face, but the ball's already off his club face. We just need to see, like, the two seconds before that to see if the eyes were closed. They were not uh, from what we saw on television, but it might have been, been too late. Peter Malnati. Feel good story of the week. I think that's safe to say. Shoots a 63 on Sunday, nine under, matching the low round of the week. Um, KP, we, you were kind of talking about this and alluding to it. Like, it, it seemed like he was free rolling this. Like, like, Sunday was just, it was all gravy. You know what? He had essentially second place locked up. He knew he was going to get into the Shriners. He's hanging with with the wife and 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 youngster, the, the his one-year-old son. Like, he, it's all good. If he gets into a playoff, he gets a crack at it. If not, he's going to have a great week. Yeah, his son was getting Ricky Fowler levels of, of air <laughs> on Sunday. I mean, that was unbelievable. Uh, look, the Malnati thing I thought was fantastic because he is somebody who, I mean, you, he just doesn't hit it. He can't keep up. He can't keep up with Rory, with Sergio, with DJ. It's just not, it's not a world that he can exist in. And to hear him talk about – that it felt on Sunday like he won, no matter if he actually won or not. I thought that was I thought that was so cool because that is a we never talk about it because we're always talking about DJ and Rory and Rom because that's what people want to hear about and that's just that's how this stuff works. But the reality for the majority of professional golfers is the Peter Malnati reality, and so for you to to to, to shoot a sixty three on a Sunday to potentially beat uh, a Hall of Famer and a, an all time Ryder Cup guy, that's I don't know. I, I just think it's more special than maybe we give it credit for. And so I love seeing his emotion and kind of the way he talked about it match what I felt felt like that moment actually was. Yeah, Mark, I think it's been, I want to say three years since he's had a top 10, something like that. Yeah, and and, and yeah. And, and Kyle's absolutely right. There are more Peter Malnati's on tour than there are Bryson DeChambeau's or Rory McIlroy's. I mean, this is, we, we say it a lot. I mean, finishing in the top 10, finishing in the top five, having even a chance to get into a playoff is a big deal. 700 and something thousand dollars for Malnati uh, this week. It's, it's unbelievable stuff. Yeah. It's again, I, I, I pivot to the tour cause it's not your dad's PGA tour anymore. Yeah. 
we say Malnati's short. The guy averages 290 yards off the tee. Now, that's not that short, but he's outside the top 200, I think, in driving distance, which shows you what the rest of the crowd are up to. And, and so when you get a situation like that, not only are you spotting someone 30, 40 yards off the tee, but that turns into not just the differential in in distance, but then the differential in iron clubs, because they're probably an iron club, maybe one and a half longer than you anyhow. So, so, so Melnati spotting folks a bunch, but that's what I love about some of these courses that we go to Hilton head, colonial Jackson, Mississippi seaside down in uh, sea Island. We'll see that in a little while, you know, everyone can play. And, and on greens like Jackson, Mississippi, and I will argue, and you had Doug Bell on the show. I'm sure he said so. They are probably I would say top five on the PGA tour in terms of how pure they are. And Peter Melnati can flat out roll it. And when you get him on some good greens and he starts getting a little confidence, he is going to fill it up from all corners. And we saw him do that in the final round. I mean, he just made everything he stood over. And, and uh, you know, again, if you're hitting seven, eight, nine irons, six irons to greens, and then you're making putts, you can also compete. Uh, you're right. Doug Bell did say that about the greens when I talked to him. So you're absolutely right there. Uh, KP, how would you spend your two hours uh, between the time that you finished your round and having to wait to see when Sergio comes in? How would you have spent your time? I feel like I would have been in there eating dinner, having a few adult beverages, thinking no chance at this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I th- that's a good question. I, I think kind of like, I mean, Malnati was funny because he acted like in his in his post-round interviews like i am just gonna go chill at the pool or whatever and i was like i don't know about that and then every time they cut to him he's like pacing all over the place he's like he's like like going to the score going to the range going back to his son that's exactly what i would have been doing because look like how many how many rips do you get at a a pga tour win if you're peter malnati in your career three five i mean it's not a big number and so it's um yeah i don't know like it, it it Again, it's it's awesome for him because it gets him into next week. It sets him up to finish top 125, which he fell out of last season, and to uh, and to get more starts on the PGA Tour. And that's what you know. Sometimes we lose sight, I think, of these weeks. These uh, we call them mediocre weeks uh, on the tour. Is it's such an opportunity for guys like that for for guys like Christopher Ventura, Ventura who's been. Uh, really good on the corn ferry, but to, to make some noise on the PJ tour and set yourself up for the rest of the season. So I just, I don't know. I thought that was really cool for a lot of different guys, but most specifically from Malnati this week. I thought, I think he was trying to convince himself that like, Oh, I'm just going to go hang out and like, yeah. hop in the, he's like trying to convince himself of that instead of pace around for the next two yeah. hours. No, ch- no chance. <laughs> um, JT Poston Mark was the, the third member of the co-lead through 54 holes. And he had been striking the ball very well. But the one thing that I think is most interesting about this, and we hear this a lot, it's not specific to JT Poston who has one PGA tour victory, the 2019 Wyndham. What we always hear, it's a very specific phrase. He's trying to validate that win. He's trying to validate that victory. And you almost hear it exclusively about single-time winners on the PGA Tour. Talk me through, I guess from like a player's perspective, are, are they feeling that or is that just something we hear on the TV coverage? I'm torn here, you know. <laughs> You win one time and you earn the respect of your peers. I don't care who you are. And let's not forget, JT, JT Poston went 72 holes around Sedgefield, bogey-free, yeah. that win. 
and he dusted the field. I mean, it was one-way traffic coming down the final round there. So it's not like he stumbled into a victory and guys fell over in front of him. He went and he grabbed that thing. So so I think when the players watch this, because they know the good ones, they can see the players that have, you know, this guy's got a little, little gumption about him. He's going to be good. And you'll hear the players talk there, where the veterans especially. So I don't think Poston and these guys are trying to validate their victories. I think that's something that we might have concocted a little bit. But I will say this to you from a player's perspective and guys I've been involved with. The second one, it's it's more personal because you've won the first one. Then you're looking for the next one and you start questioning, what did I do? What should, uh, should I have done? What haven't I done? And all of a sudden, the, the quest for the next one becomes a bigger deal. Because mm. now you're not swinging as free, in my opinion, as what you were when you're fresh-faced and you're looking for your first victory. Because now you're like, okay, I've won. This stuff's infectious. Because i got to tell you, whether it's in Jackson, Mississippi, or whether it's in Fort Worth, Texas, or New York City, a win on the tour is a big deal. And and so you get that victory feeling one time, and, and it's it you won it again. So it starts to play tricks on the guy. So, so from a personal playing perspective, it's a big deal to get the second. But I don't think they're trying to validate themselves. I mean, they've won one time on the tour. That that in itself is quite an achievement. Yeah, I, it's certainly certainly something that you know might be more on on our side than it is on on their side. Uh, KP his seventy on Sunday for Poston, two under. His worst rounds of the week, not not by far, not a terrible round, but you know you got to wonder what it is like for these guys to sleep on the fifty-four hole lead, even if it is a co-lead. Knowing what you just mentioned about Peter Malnati, you only get a couple rips at this, and and yeah. and and Poston, you know, he started off the restart with back-to-back top tens, hadn't played as well recently, and then he pops up here again. You only do get so many rips at this. Yeah, and it felt like he – I don't want to say he threw it away because he didn't He didn't play terrible, but just some of the shots he hit over the last, I don't know, six, eight holes, they just were not – he didn't – you watch Sergio and you're like, okay, he hit that shot with conviction, right? And with Poston, it was just – they just felt like kind of lousy efforts. And I, I don't know. I, I didn't see his post-round comments. I don't know what, what he said about it. But he asked it – yeah, I don't know. If you're him, you kind of got to look back at that and think like, man, I just didn't hit the shots that I, that I really needed to coming in. And, and that's, you know, again, like you finished third in, in, a, in, in a PGA Tour event in an okay field. It's not like a terrible field. And so there's some, like, there's a lot to glean from that, to take away from that. But I do wonder what he would say about those final six or eight holes. Yeah, well, he can he can look back at Sunday. We're going to look ahead. We're going to talk about back to back weeks in Las Vegas. Yes, Kyle. Real quick, can we do the? Can can you guys give me your three to five all trash guys? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I had that as a note. So uh, all trash guys. So you've already thrown out Sergio Garcia. Uh, yeah. I thought Gary. See, some guys only do it for like a shot or two at the, at a time. You know what I mean? Uh, but I think. Obviously, Gary and obviously Tiger have to be on the list. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if I can go further than that. Mark, do you have anybody? Uh, I'm up for conversation, but if what are you looking for, guys that hit the just hit the, they hit the ball? You got to yeah, just just, gotta, just the just the best trajectory on the PGA Tour. Well, Adam Scott, Rory McIlroy, and Bubba Watson. Uh, those those are your airbags. Bubba Bubba's a great one. Bubba's a great one because there's nobody like him. Hey. Yeah. Do yourself a favor and go and stand behind Rory McIlroy for a little while and then go and stand behind Adam, Adam Scott and see if you can come away there breathing deeply because it is something <laughs> to behold. Trust me. I, hey, I've done it. It's it's incredible. 
so so where did, what's your did you did you the king of the rankings did you rank these uh definitively kp no, I need I need to like write a column out. I think Fleetwood is on the list. I love Fleetwood. Oh, Street that Day. little like yeah, and I like it, the way he kind of holds it off at the end too. Yeah, somebody mentioned uh, Cameron Champ, which is a pretty oh, good one. That's all right. He, yeah. But what are you? That. How are you defining this? I guess is the question. Uh, just just when you watch when you're watching on TV or in person, and but specifically on TV, and you see the the shot tracer come up, and it just makes you gasp at what kind of trajectory. <laughs> they've taken so bubba bubba's an obvious one yeah well yes yes what i want to offer you um there's certain guys that make the low one look cool like champ gary woodland you know they hit that really low ball the head eye one i, I remember Wyndham one year i had his group ali schneider jones off the 18th tee hit one it was like knee high to a grasshopper off that 18th tee for like 100 yards it was unbelievable rolled like 300 it was crazy uh, but but then I got to tell you, when these guys get up there and hit a driver, and the thing goes 130 feet in the air, that is freaking amazing. Okay, so I'm I'm more into the guys that launch these big high balls through the stratosphere, and the stuff. Doesn't yeah, but some up. of those guys, some of those guys can't they can't work it both ways. Like this, this all started because I I feel like Sergio is maybe the best in the world at working it both ways, right? Like you, you see him and well, Tiger uh, all time is the best in the world, but you see him hit it high and cut it. You see him hit a high and draw. You see him hit, hit it low and draw. I mean, this goes back to the, the conversation in the Hank Haney book about Tiger of, of hitting the nines, the nine windows, right. And being able to draw it and fade it no matter which way you're going. And, and I think that, uh, obviously Tiger, Tiger's got to be number one all time on the list. But I think Sergio is, I think he's up there. And look, we're not going all the way back to like, sorry, Bobby Jones isn't on the list, Mark. I'm sure he was probably a, a great trajectory guy if they had invented the, the he invented trajectory. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I was just trying to think of guys as I was watching Sergio, because Sergio is up there for me. He, he might be number two behind Tiger. Well, if you're looking for people that are going to make you gasp, Bubba Watson is the one. Yeah. He, he is Bubba's that guy will hit shots that'll blow your that'll blow your hair back. Just, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a really good one because who who else can do it like Bubba? Like the things that he that he pulls out. That's a really good one. I like that. Well, and the crazy part is like he'll hit he'll hit these like tracers off the screen, and then it'll end up in the middle of the fairway. And you're like, well, how did that happen? But but the thing is, he's aiming off that side of the screen, and the ball's leaving on this side of the screen. And they end up together. It's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> Got to get one of those ultra wide monitors to see the uh, trajectory off of Bubba's club face. Um, all right, gentlemen, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step. The reason building a business is tough. Taylor brands is simplifying the business journey from launching and managing to growing your business. Taylor brands. Isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. 
You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. And we're back. Shriners, Vegas, back-to-back weeks in Vegas because we've got this and then Shadow Creek for the CJ Cup, which will now make its California debut instead of the the Asian swing. But, gentlemen, uh, we've got quite a quite a big-boy lineup coming to Vegas next week. We've got Bryson DeChambeau making his first start since becoming the U.S. Open champion, Webb Simpson, friend of the pod, Colin Morikawa, Hideki Matsuyama. I mean, there. this is... This is solid. Who, um, what do we think, Mark? Let's start with you. What's the storyline for next week? Is it is it Cantlay's dominance around Shriners? Is it Bryson's first start as a U.S. Open champion? What what is next week? I think the story is because look, at the when I was a PGA Tour radio guy, I, I I did the last two winners over there, and the first thing that that pops in my mind is it's the hardest win call to make. Because it's such a long name, and you don't want to screw it up. So, Shriners <laughs> Hospitals for Children Open Champion. Um, so, so, it's a lot of fun. It's a great golf course. Yeah. For me, I think, I think, and and I'm not hopping on any bandwagon here. I think the story is about Brasson because he professed in the winner's interview to me. I was there. He said, "I'm going off, and I'm going to now change my body." And that's when he made this de- declaration to the world of golf. And he was undergoing yeah. the change and he did. And he's come back. Now he's a major champion. Now he's coming back. There is a major champion. So I think there's this, and it doesn't happen very often where you make a statement and it comes back and you can go back to the place you did it. And you have the proof about the thing. So for me, Bryson going back, major champion, def- I think he's the defending champ, isn't he? Cause no, Kevin Nah oh, yeah. last year, two years ago. Yeah. That's and right. then Bryson and then Cantlay, I think are the last three in order. Uh, Cantley was the year before Bryson. I, I do know that. Yeah. Okay. So, so not Bryson Cantley going back in order. Yes. Yeah. So Bryson coming back there, I, I think is a big deal, but Cantley, I mean, that guy around there, he is a beast. First, second, second, and his only three trips to two Shriners is unbelievable. I, uh, KP, this is a low key. Uh, I, I love this course. I was there actually like Thursday and Friday, I think last year. Um, great walk. Uh, I was there early. There was nobody out there. I had the whole place to myself. TPC Summerlin, like that gets my juices flowing a little bit. Were you were you following uh, JT Poston or Peter Malnati? No, definitely Malnati. No, you know what the group was? They had the young guys paired. They had it was Wolf Morikawa and Joaquin Neiman in a group, and <laughs> and I followed those guys around. It was phenomenal. Yeah, that's a great tragic group right there because you got high, you got low, you got you got everything. Look, I I think the. I think the storyline starts to become Augusta, right? Like we're 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 a little over a month away, and this 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 coincides with with Mark on on Bryson, because look, I, we can talk about we can talk about Tiger, we talk about Rory, the Slam, we can talk about all this stuff. I think going to Augusta, I think Bryson's the number one storyline. I do because it it would be different if Tiger was playing better and he was going back as he is going back as the defending champion, but. I don't think we're going into that thinking like, okay, Tiger, like Tiger's locked in. He's going to put, now that might change over the next month. But I think as of right now, what Bryson is going to do at Augusta 
is the storyline in golf broadly. And so you, when you, when you kind of filter that down to um, the Shriners this week, I think, I think that becomes kind of the overarching theme for the golf world going forward. So maybe it doesn't play out like that. Maybe Bryson doesn't contend at the Shriners, but I just think that as of right now, that's kind of the thing that's overshadowing everything else. Hey, the way that golf course sets up, the way he's driving it, man, he can just open up on every hole there. And, and, and I feel like if he comes in there playing well, because we don't know, because apparently he's been experimenting with like a 48-inch driver or something silly like that. Um, I don't know the exact specs of it. So he's been doing Bryson stuff. But if he's coming in there playing well, he can just get on that tee and just unleash and get himself a number of scoring clubs into, again, very good greens. I hope he plays the 48-inch driver. <laughs> oh, that'd be pretty cool. It would be crazy. I mean, it's it's look like I think some of the U.S. Open stuff was it felt reactionary, and maybe it was, but I I don't I don't know. I think we look back in ten years, and and I just think the U.S. Open was like this culmination of a lot of Bryson stuff. That again, I I said this the day after or the day of the U.S. Open win was an inflection point in golf history. And again, maybe it doesn't go like that. Maybe he peters out or whatever, but it just, it felt like a big deal. And, it, and it'll be interesting to see kind of the next step and the progression of it from here. Our matchup challenge was, oh boy, it was, it, it was the worst week we've ever had boys. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was 0 and 6, which is, that's hard to do, first of all. That is really hard to do. Uh, Greg is technically going to win this. So Greg and Kyle were 3 and 3 apiece. Greg wins the tiebreaker over Kyle. Mark was 2 and 4, and I was 0 and 6. I don't know. I, I, I got on uh, – I, I was looking at the leaderboard on Saturday night, and I was like, oh, Cameron Davis, this – my sleeper, <laughs> this is great. And then he shot like a 73 on Sunday, so uh, not all that great. But, yeah, it was, a, it was a tough week for us, tough look. A, a lot of these matchups we had, like both the guys missed the cut, and we just had to decide – like it, it was just a brutal – I mean, it was, it was destruction at the top. Uh, it was. Hey, it, by the way, did you guys see the Cameron Davis uh, switch hitting thing? Yeah, it's unbelievable. I, I I don't know. I'd never seen it before. First of all, like we talked about this going into the week. Uh, I really like Cameron Davis. Great swing. They showed him hitting left-handed. It's better than like 90% of the guys on tour. It was unreal. It, it, it's a and, – and Mark, from like an instructor side of it, it looked like – so they actually showed them side by side, right? They showed his right and his left. It legit looked like they just mirrored it. Like I could have yes. done that in Adobe yes. – and just mirrored it. It was unbelievable. Okay, yeah. I, I don't want to poo-poo this, but follow this in things that we that, – that's not the first time we've seen this under the sun. I mean, Mac O'Grady played in a PGA Tour event and a, a, as a right-hander and a left-hander. That's how good he was. And you watch all of them. Ricky Fowler, they can all hit great. Even Dustin – No, Fitch. not like that. Pal, it was aesthetically pleasing. And here's the thing. Your, your best bud, Gary Player – I'd never forget way, way back in the day I'm dating my 50-year-old self right now. He said to me, you must learn to swing both directions because it keeps your body balanced and will keep your right-handed swing good. And Mr. Player's done it since Moby Dick was a minnow. Yes, Cameron Davis, did it look impressive? Absolutely. But they all do this sort of stuff. You you go. And, uh, you know who else is great at it is uh, Ustazen. Ustazen's left-handed swing is uh, awesome. 
again, Cameron's Cameron's got that look about him. He's languid. He's long, got long arms. He's he's got one of those swings like a like a Weisskopf or an Adam Scott, where their body just lends itself to really pretty. And the lines of it are so great. And the one thing he does well is left and right handed side. The pitch of the shaft is ideal, so it fits your it it, it works with your eye. But you, yeah. watch, you watch some of these guys hit the ball left-handed. They can hit good. And some of them, they'll, they'll go out and shoot good scores like that. If you are not familiar with Mac O'Grady, uh, the wiki page is phenomenal. So there is a section called quirkiness. And here's here's a good one. Uh, try to gain amateur status left-handed while playing right-handed as a professional. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. First of all, that's amazing. Uh one of the original golf machine guys. The, the guy is a, you think Bryson is is like super scientific? Mac O'Grady is Bryson before Bryson was Bryson. Bryson, that is Mac O'Grady's stuff. He also tried to enter the Chrysler Team Championship as both halves of the same team. <laughs> <laughs> and he said he'd, he'd play one ball left-handed and the other right-handed. That's awesome. I mean, this is this is phenomenal. Yeah, so uh, highly encourage you to go check out the wiki on Mac O'Grady. There, you know what I would watch is a is a December tournament where you had to play. It was alternate shot, but you had to alternate left and right hand. <laughs> I don't. It would be ugly. Uh, but I mean, for some guys, it'd be. It's like the the story that uh, Bones told this story. I think it was during the BMW Championship about how Adam Scott was hitting, and this goes to, to Mark's point that a lot of guys can do this, but that Adam Scott was hitting left-handed drivers like 290 down the middle. And uh, I was like, oh, cool, another awesome thing that Adam Scott's great at. <laughs> yeah. That's what we need. I'm waiting for the breaking news of something Adam Scott is bad at. <laughs> yeah. Well, putting. He was bad at uh, you can see Yeah, he can surf. He does it all, man. He's a legend. Hey, aren't you glad you got the old guy on the pod, the 50-year-old, so I can bring the Mac O'Grady nuggets for you guys? That's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, phenomenal. It, was, it was very handy. Mark's birthday was last Friday, so send Mark your birthday wishes. Happy birthday, Mark. Um, speaking of which, you also – what do you got there? The captain? A pirate hat that I got, yeah. <laughs> captain Morgan hat. Mark's ready to rock and roll. <laughs> Also, Mark, you are going to earn 46,200 points for Sung J.M. in our one and done. He finished, I think, T28. Uh, you and me, Kyle, we had Scotty Scheffler. He gets us 28,000. And Greg and producer Jacob get the goose egg with Sam Burns. Tough. Sorry, boys. Uh, and I think, Mark, I don't know if we did this on or off air, already disclosed who he's picking for next week. What, what, wait, wait, first give us the Will Zalatoris update from Jackson, Mississippi. Seeing as you're just so high on him. Please tell us what happened. MC. Okay. Missed cut. Oh, yeah, we should definitely take one event and use it to project the future. That's always good. <laughs> projecting the future? I'm just saying the PGA Tour is loaded with good players. Zalatoris is a top 30 guy. Uh, I can buy. I'm, I'm buying that. Okay. So we're on the same page. It's great. Just saying, watch out for every car, every bus, every bandwagon that drives past your house. Don't jump onto every single one, okay? Uh, I'm The only bandwagon I'm on is JT 25 wins this decade. That's that's my corner. Uh, that's be the, the ratio the ratio is is it's not i'm i'm looking up wines as we speak and you know what you got a problem because at the cj cup that was like a happy hunting ground for that dude and it was overseas he's good overseas too but that's now in vegas i mean this i, I think I, I think your fortunes are changing 
Yeah, he's probably going to win like four Masters because he only wins small field events. So I think I think the Masters is I think it's going to be his spot for a while. Uh, I think that'll do it. Sanderson, <laughs> Sanderson Farms, KP. How much do we have to crowdsource to get you to jump into that lake right now? Oh, no, that is not. <laughs> I would think money for that. It is cold. It is. I mean, I would do it for maybe like two million FedEx Cup points in our one and done league. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a pretty good head start. Uh, that's Kyle Porter. You can find him on Twitter at Kyle Porter CBS. That's Mark Immelman. You can find him at Mark underscore Immelman. You can find me at Rick Rungood. This has been the first cut, and we'll catch you next time. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.